people will associate you. They will make assumptions based off of where they see you and what, what situations they see you in. There's two corridors in that main interior building, one with the deputy assistant secretaries and one with the assistant secretaries. And what did I do? I found people on those corridors to talk to. Why? Because every time I walked down that corridor to talk to someone, I was being seen by all those executive leaders. And now I'm doing this weekly, weekly, and they keep seeing me, they keep seeing me. So now, now they begin to make the assumption and they believe that, oh shoot, Alex must have something of, of value. He must have something to add because he's always here where leadership is, where, where power is, where influence is. So look, you, Alex, hey, do you mind stepping here? I'd love to hear your ideas on this. Why did I become an executive coach? I saw lots of great people fail to get ahead at work while their much less talented peers blew right past them. That made me furious, but also curious. What were great people getting wrong? It came down to helping them re-examine what drove success and then helping them make critical shifts one hard truth at a time. Feel like you're doing everything you were told, but you're not moving ahead at work nor having the impact you seek? Then welcome to 97% Effective with Michael Winderoff, where we skip feel-good, happy talk and engage experts in pointed conversations about what it really takes to move the needle at work and your career. So if you feel stalled or frustrated or seek that extra edge as you move to the next level, then look no further. This is the hard truths playbook you never got. I'm Michael Wenderoff, and you're listening to 97% Effective. People will forget what you said, people forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Memorable words from the poet Maya Angelou. How do you make people never forget you and use that to propel your career and your impact on others? For the answer, look no further than my guest today. I'm extremely excited. Alex D. Tremble. Alex is an award-winning speaker, consultant, author, and coach that helps ambitious leaders build stronger, more strategic relationships. At 24, he rose to oversee organizational development in the U.S. Government Department of the Interior and then became the youngest federal employee to create and run three federal government-wide senior leadership development programs. Today, we're going to unpack those critical skills that propelled his own rise and how he teaches those lessons to others, which he now does through his own leadership development company, GPS Leadership Solutions. Glad to catch Alex on the rise. He was recently named a fellow of the Aspen Institute and a 40 under 40 honoree with the Leadership Center for Excellence. Alex, welcome to 97% Effective. You are look. You make me sound good. Like I, I got, I got a little impressed for a second. Thanks for the introduction. <laughs> I wanted to break this into two pieces. First, to talk about your your personal story, because not everyone rises as fast as you do, particularly within the federal government. So there is a story there of how you did that, and I think they're very powerful strategies, very much linked to 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 the book that I wrote about getting get promoted, and then to dive into how you've taken this and you train and work with other leaders. So there's those two pieces. And we'll start with the personal. 24 becoming appointed to oversee organizational development and then continuing to move up. And, and I think what makes that more remarkable is within the federal government, where a lot of the promotions are about 
seniority, time and seat. And so can you share a few of the, the drivers or specifics that fueled your early rise? I like hard things. Like, like even when I played football, so my background was um, I used to be a college football player and has high school football player and got all these awards and whatnot. People ask me, hey, why do you love football? I'm like, ah, football's okay. Like it's it's cool. But what's really interesting to me is, is there any way that I can figure out that person who's playing right in front of me? If I can figure out their calls, if I can understand how they're going to be operating by the the how they move and what the words they say. If I can understand it by the end of the game, like I can just I it is a great challenge, right? So it's the same thing when it comes to the workplace for me. It was, well, how do I put myself in situations that are challenging? How do I put myself in a situation where I'm gonna have to figure out how to maneuver in order to be successful? And to your point earlier, I absolutely did this early in my career, and it made no sense that they allowed some 23, 24-year-old kid to do this. But I think it comes back to being willing to put myself in difficult situations, being willing to, to ask for the opportunity. People tend to think that it's so hard to get people to help you. But I think one of the biggest challenges is not people helping you, is you willing to ask for help, you being willing to ask for an opportunity, putting yourself out there. Because if you don't ask... There's like a hundred percent chance that it's not you're not gonna get what you want. I saw a video, uh, I think it was on your YouTube channel that you left. And and I and I would draw an interesting distinction that you made here because you said it is about asking. A lot of people don't ask, and if you don't ask, <laughs> there's no way anything's gonna happen. But you also in that video said that a lot of people just ask and they wanna be helped. You know, <sighs> yeah. I imagine <laughs> that this is not just come help me right? Tell me what Mm -hmm. to to do. There is some other things that you did clearly that helped. Asking is is one important piece, but it's one piece of the puzzle. And like you, I've worked almost my entire career working around people who are extremely successful, whether it's in the government, the private sector, um, nonprofit, people who are, you know, millionaires and billionaires I've been around. And the one thing I learned from them is that they really talk about challenges. Like, yeah, for for some reason, like people like in general, they think that, okay, these super rich and super successful people are just sitting around the table, like, my, 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 my dad bought this for me. My uncle bought this. Or this is so easy. That is not what happens. They're always talking about how difficult things were and how they found a way to overcome. And what I realized for me earlier on is that if you sit back waiting for something to happen to you, you're not going to look impressive to those people. What they've always been impressed with me is because I'm always sitting there trying to do something new, trying to write a new book, trying to create a new program, trying to reach out and build a new business. Trying, I'm always doing something, I'm always working on something. So when when they look at me and when they talk to me, they believe, they, they know, you know, Alex isn't just about talk. Mm-mm. He's willing to put his own skin in the game. He's he's working before he even has the assistance. So if he gets the assistance, who who's what's telling what he can accomplish, right? So you have to be willing to put the work in on the front end. You have to be willing to to take the risk to try something new, to, to talk to someone, to 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 throw an idea out there and try to make it work. Because at the end of the day, you only win. 
if you put an idea out there, if you try something and you're successful, you look pretty freaking impressive. If you put something out there and you aren't successful, you know, you know what? Now you have a great story to tell someone when you when you have reached success, because you will, if you keep doing that, something will eventually go through. And you can talk about how, how the challenges that you ran into, but you found the grit, the resiliency, the, the strategic know-how to overcome it and still be successful. And you learned. So uh, th- thank you so much for calling it out, Michael. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, you were doing this and then you made these asks and there's this also this piece that we both talk about around networking, right? Which a lot of people think is go out and talk to everyone. And, and it's not, we're going to get into this being strategic about it. This is a centerpiece of what you do. But I think the example here of the way that you strategically networked within the federal government, taking advantage of that position that you earned, but then you ratcheted that to kind of bring in things. And can you just share how you kind of went around that networking and and talking to a lot of mentors? Because I think that is really a a very savvy thing you did, but incredibly helpful in how that kind of multiplied and I think further fueled your ascent. Just sharing a little bit about that. I can't take credit for everything, right? So much was was given to me and, and shown to me by mentors and, and other executives I was just around. But in saying that, I'm now giving you a, a giving your audience advice. You need to be around people who can give you great advice, right? You need to be around people who can mentor you. If you're around this, the same people who are in the same exact position you're in, they can only tell you about what you probably already know or being exposed to, right? You need to be around people who have done better than you, who have achieved greater things, who, who've had huge successes and huge failures. You need to be around those people. But one thing that I think really led to me understanding how to build those relationships strategically is my, one of my mentors uh, back in the day. And what he did intentionally was he would bring me to every single senior executive meeting he could. I wouldn't speak. I wasn't participating. I was just sitting in the room, just sitting in the room. Why? Because he wanted people to know who I was. He wanted me to be it to be me to be synonymous with executive leadership, right? I didn't have to say anything, but what we've learned again, and Michael, you and I know this, people will associate you, they will make assumptions based off of where they see you and what what situations they see you in. So by me being in executive rooms all the time, I began to be seen as someone who must have value to bring. And then on top of that, what I started to do was um, there's a corridor. There's two corridors in that main interior building, one with the deputy assistant secretaries and one with the assistant secretaries. And what did I do? I found people on those corridors to talk to. Why? Because every time I walked down that corridor to talk to someone, I was being seen by all those executive leaders. And now I'm doing this weekly, weekly, and they keep seeing me, they keep seeing me. So now now they begin to make the assumption and they believe that, oh, shoot, Alex must have something of of value. He must have something to add because he's always here where leadership is, where where power is, where influence is. So Alex, hey, do you mind stepping here? I'd love to hear your ideas on this. I started being brought into meetings with with ridiculous leaders, with with, assistant secretaries and whatnot. Like it It was so profound. And the last thing I'll share in this is... You need to also know how to shut your mouth. See, when you're working with those super senior and super uh, successful leaders, 
they tend to be a little bit skittish sometimes because they can't always trust that someone is not trying to set them up or trying to get information out of them to, 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 to undermine them, to, to take their position. If you can be that person that they can talk to and they know you're not going to share anything, you begin, you begin to become a confidant. They begin to go to you because they know I, they can share, you know what, this employee over here is really annoying me. I'm not sure how to do And you don't have to have an answer. You just have, have to have an opportunity, just a place for them to, to vent to. And they will start to respect and value so much more because you're something you're you're providing a service that they can't get anywhere else and feel safe doing it. And there's so many different strategies, but you, you know. <laughs> yeah, and you share a lot of these, and, and we won't have time to go into them all. But I'm sure most people who are listening immediately, you know, will say, Alex has an amazing personality. You know, he creates this warmth right away. You you kind of connect with him. But I've got to ask, right? You probably reached out for mentorship to different people. Maybe you're batting a you know, <laughs> you know, a thousand, or or maybe you're not. And some people say no. I mean, was there a key to building certain relationships and that one in particular that worked for you? I don't. I would dare say. I mean, we can split words here. Mm-hmm. That that really was a like a sponsorship. You know, he or it might have been he mm-hmm. took mm-hmm. you under his wing, made you see those things. Probably was also talking about you and wanted to lift you up. So the question here is, you know, are there specific ways that, you know, you do better seeking mentors and how do you convert them into sponsors like you did? When you're talking about mentorships, what you're talking about is, is networking with someone, is, is building a relationship. So when I talk about in the book, Reaching Senior Leadership, is how to specifically network. Um, but this is, this is funny. This is weird. I never asked my wife to be my girlfriend. I have no idea if that's a new thing or if that's a, if that's a weird thing or not, we just kept hanging out more and more and more. And then it was almost like assumed. And then one day I asked her to marry me and we got married. I've never asked her to be my girlfriend. And I'll say the same thing about my, my, my mentors. I never asked my mentors to be my mentors. I never asked them, Hey, can you mentor me? Because I don't necessarily need, I don't need their approval for them to mentor me. I, I can be mentored by someone who's I'm just watching. Right, I can be mentored by someone who I just ask a question to every once in a while. See, the the, the challenges with, with with mentoring is that when you use the word mentoring, it has weight to it. People start to get a little nervous. Why? Because they feel like now your career, they're responsible for your career, your successes, your your failures. They they get a little nervous and and they start to think about all the time commitments and 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 do I have the time and energy to really do this? When really all you need to do is talk to them every couple of weeks. Right. And so what I have done now is I just don't ask people to be my mentors. I always uh, reach out to someone. Hey, do you mind if I have 15 minutes of your time? Thank you so much. Ask some really great questions. Appreciate everything they share with me. I do my homework. I just make sure we have a really engaging conversation. And at the end of that conversation, I religiously, hey, you know, what? if I have another question, do you mind if I reach out to you in a, in a, in a month or two just, just to check back in? And they almost always say, absolutely. Absolutely. And now I got them in my clutches. <laughs> because you just keep reaching out to them and you build that relationship. Yeah. And then over at some point, they're going to say, hey, I want to introduce um, you to Alex. He's my mentee. And it, I never even asked him to be my mentor. <laughs> it's like magic. Yeah. So there's that magic there, but it's a very strategic, deliberate, and thoughtful mm-hmm. uh, way that you go about it. You know, also, I mentioned your podcast before, Executive Appeal. And many of those mentors have come and been your guests on the show. And in a way, this has also kind of shined the light on them, their ideas. 
what what have you kind of most learned from that podcast? You're you're well into it, many episodes. Anything in particular? It's hard to call out one thing because I've learned so much. The podcast, The Executive Pill, started off as a way for me to to communicate to the world and provide opportunity for everyone to have access to mentors who have great advice. We talked about it before. Got to have be around people who have great advice, who have experienced successes and failures, right? Um, and I realized that most people don't have that. So that's why I created the show. And so I start off with mentors, start off with focus on the federal government, but it became so much bigger than that. And we focus now on specifically teaching those skills to navigate one's career to people who want to be a senior level leader or an executive within an organization, especially people of color. And so for me, what I've learned is just one thing I've learned is that you can't be afraid of failure and you have to be willing to call out when you are afraid. I had a conversation uh, near the beginning of when I came, the podcast came out about fear. The thing about fear, why it's so scary, is that you may not even know sometimes that you're afraid, right? I have been being told by my mentors and, and leaders around me to start my own business and go out and, and, and grow for a long time. They kept challenging me, Alex, you got to do this, you got to do this. And I kept saying, no, 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 I, I don't want to, I want to stay in the federal government right now because, you know, I want to do some really good work for the American people. But after this, this episode, I, I sat back and I looked at my life and I realized that I absolutely do love doing work for, for, for the American people and for the world. I absolutely, absolutely love it. But that wasn't the reason why I wasn't going to build my business is because I was afraid, Right. I had so much fear, but I didn't know I was afraid. I was afraid of what if I fail? What if I'm not successful? On the other side, what if I am successful? Will I be able to handle all of it? Like there's so many questions that come out that we just say, you know what? Uh, I should just stay here because here is really good when you're really afraid. So I, I would encourage your audience to, if they're not where they think they want to be, Take a look at their life and, and ask yourself the question, are you here because you truly want to be here or are you here because you're worried about what would happen if you take a step forward or to the side somewhere? Yeah. What got you to take that step? What got me to take that step is actually, I was in a training a few years back. I was in a training and I was in and out the training the entire time because I was uh, also serving as chief of staff at a, this large organization. And I just had, had a lot of things on my plate. I got to make sure everyone's taken care of. And at the end of the training, um, it was a week-long training, we we're wrapping up. And all the guests said, um, all, all the other participants were like, hey, Alex, you should be teaching this class. I was like, what? No, no, I'm busy. No, Alex, seriously, you should be teaching. Like, and everyone started chiming in because every time I was there and I was providing thoughts and value, uh, everyone loved it. And then the, 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 the trainers actually pulled me aside afterwards and said, look, we'd like to hire you to start doing coaching for our executive leadership program. Um, and I was like, uh, are you sure? Like, yeah, 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 sure. We, we want to hire you, please. And that is what pushed me out of that comfort zone into doing more and greater things. Yeah, well, I can see why they would, uh, they would say that. <laughs> and, and, and just one last question, kind of wrap up on the personal. Um, yeah. Because your podcast is excellent. And I, I do want to ask you this question because, you know, when we talk to leaders, and I think you and I may have discussed in the this in the past, you know, a lot of leaders will, will tell you things about how they rose or how they would like things to be, just work hard, whatever that, you know, conventional wisdom may be. You are good at asking questions. So how do you get at like, what did they really do 
versus what are they just saying because it sounds good and it's beefing up their reputation now. And I'm particularly asking you because you're very good at the networking and building that. I mean, you also hold a master's, right, in in, um, sociology (laughs) and psychology and industrial organizational studies. Mm -hmm. So how do you kind of sort through what's really true and got them there versus where they may just be telling tales? My initial response to that is I, I, I learned over trial and error that there are two types of leaders out there, the ones who are successful, right? They're the people who are very mindful and very co- cognizant of what they have done to be successful. And they'll they'll say, hey, look, I know that there's thousand plus people who are better at me and more ready for this position than I am, but I got here because I knew this person or because I could do this, right? They, they, they are very aware of, of the value they provide and how they navigate, right? The other type of leader are liars. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but there are liars who are intentionally lying. Um, I think there's far fewer more of them, but I think there's a lot of liars who, who just simply truly believe, oh, I just worked hard. I didn't think about my career at all. I just worked hard and eventually I made it here. And, and, it's, and it's complete BS. When you start asking the question like, okay, well, how did you actually get this job? Oh, well, I worked with this person. Oh, so what you're doing is you, you build a relationship with this influencer over here. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, right. Okay. And then you talk more about it. Like, okay, so so how did you do this? Oh, well, I wrote these papers and then people caught up on my name. Oh, so you were very intentional with building your reputation by putting information out there, right? Oh, yeah, exactly. So for your, I love the question you asked because for the audience, it's so easy because, again, I got these answers as well. Hey, how do I reach senior leadership? And so many of them said, oh, just work hard. Don't worry about your career. That stuff is, that'll slow you down. It's BS. You have to be willing to, to take the questions more in depth. But it, I would say that's hard. It's If you haven't done, and you don't have the background to ask these really, really good questions from the jump, and you don't have the background, if you don't have the background in this, it's hard to really pull that that content out. And that's why, seriously, and I'm being real talk, this is why you should listen to The Executive Pill. This is why you should be listening to this podcast. This is why you should be, she, she be uh, reading Michael's book and, and, and my book, because that's exactly what we did. Like Our job is to, to curate that information, to curate those, those points of advice and, and mentorship and provide it to you in, in, in a clear, easy to understand form. That is what we do versus you having to hit your head against the wall because you're trying to figure out what the right question to ask is. You've been listening to 97% Effective with your host, executive coach, Michael Winderoff. If this interview is making you think, make sure to share it with a friend. Now, back to our interview. So if we summarize also your rise, I mean, I heard three themes there. I mean, you were super proactive and you tried stuff. You really were, were proactive. Two, you had mentors, but from particularly that one who took you around. And then a lot of time in that, in that corridor, bringing value to people. A lot of time in that corridor, bringing value to people. I would tell, I would tell everyone, everyone listening to this, if you want to be successful, there's a saying, there's a story about you know flying closer to the sun bigger chance of being burnt. So what I would encourage everyone, if you want to rise, I'm going to use this phrase, I'm going to use this word, I know you're not going to like it, but you have to understand political savvy. 
You have to understand what people's motivations are and what their values are and what their desires are. Because if yours run counter to theirs, they may come after you. And that, that is just the reality. Don't get mad. Don't get upset. Just realize that you have to be cognizant of this. And if you are cognizant enough to understand the playing field around you, who wants what from where, when they want it, if you can understand that, then you can find ways to provide those things to them. And now you're building allies, building allies instead of enemies. Yeah. And let's shift now into uh, the work you do. I mean, we have talked about this and you addressed, you know, I, I, your introduction video, you say you've been lied to and, and that presumably is referring to it's just your hard work, right? There's this other political savvy element, or do you want to add anything to that? Because it is a bold statement you make up there. You've been lied to. <laughs> Does grab your Cause, attention. Because it's true. <laughs> I, I, I think, I think I'll, I'll make a very quick statement on this. I think that you have been lied to, but I think we've been lied to in so many ways. See, what you got to realize is that just because someone's doing something for your best interest doesn't mean it's in your best interest, right? I think our society teaches us so many things about who we should value and everyone is the same and they all require our the same amount of our time. No, it's BS. You know, we, you know, I have a wife. If I don't prioritize time with my wife over some random person, I won't have a wife. The reality is, is that um, if we believe these lies that society tells us that, oh, YOLO, you only live once. So, you know, you don't, don't work too hard. They're not paying you for that. Well, yeah, sure, but who's the person who stands out? The person who does something extra. The person who's not ordinary is extraordinary. They become extraordinary by doing extra. And you find ways to to put yourself out there to 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 make yourself more appealing. That allows you to have the resources to travel the world. It allows you to have the resources to do those things for your family that you say you want to do. Uh, last thing I'll say is one of my good friends, I was asking him, what is his goal? Because he he does very well, very well. Um, and he's a consultant in the um, uh, medical field. And I said, what, what's your goal? He said, hey, you know, Alex, the last few years, my, my goals, my, my goals have changed in regards to finance. He said, for me, what I now tell all kids that I speak to, I aspire to be a full-time parent. I aspire to be a full-time parent. And the only way to do that is for me to make enough money because money pays the bills, money pays for school, money pays for the roof, money pays all it. I have to pay, make enough money so that I don't have to work right? And that's, that's for me, is the game. You can do whatever you want to do. Absolutely. Be happy, whatever it is. But if you want to live a life where money is not a problem, you got to have money. Because when you don't have money, what are you thinking about? Money. The reality is that everyone has problems. If you're poor, you have problems. If you're rich, you have problems. What problems do you want? I'd rather poor <laughs> rich problems. That's all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love how you just call some of these things out and you talk about this right on on your videos and you share a lot of very compelling you know snippets that gets people to to think let's let's talk about your business helping leaders gps solutions and the focus or it sounds like it may have broadened now what you know historically early on was helping leaders in the federal government rise it sounds like you've expanded beyond that um, but I'd love for you to share, cause we think about government, we think about, most of us think about bureaucracy. Are there some kind of unique things from that space that either you've learned or can be a, we can benefit 
from those insights kind of more broadly? I think absolutely. And I'm, I'm going to say this, and I, I love to hear back from your from your audience. And you can you know put in the comments section or, or, or write. The government is probably one of the hardest places to work in, most difficult places to work in. If you want to learn how to build successfully build relationships to get something done, go to the government. Why? Because we in the government we don't have one client. We serve everyone. So one of the reasons why I did start off working with the federal government is because federal employees have it hard. And on top of having it really hard, who is the punching bag every four years that everyone talks about? How lazy the federal government employees are. And let me tell you, I worked in the federal government for 11 years. I don't know too many lazy people. But the challenge is for government employees is that, real talk, they're not allowed to speak up. We, the government is not allowed to run commercials. You, you'll never see a Department of Interior commercial. You'll never see um, an EPA commercial. You, you'll see Walmart commercials, right? You'll see all these other types of organizations having their commercials trying to get their message out. We are not allowed to do that. Sorry, I'm not longer a federal employee, but they're not allowed to do that. And so when 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 politicians and, and local people who have no idea what the agency is actually doing to save their life or save them money or to make sure that, that the food they consume is, is, is edible and you're talking about them, it hurts. And so that's why I started off there. But what I found with the executive pill is that so many people across the spectrum, government, nonprofit, and um, private sector, so many people wanted to, to, to achieve more in their careers, but they were stunted. They were being stunted because of so many political things that they just didn't realize, they, not, the, the lack of relationships and so on and so forth. And that's why I do the work I do, specifically focus on helping organizations build the culture and shape the culture required to 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 attract to to retain and develop the leaders that are going to be needed to help them reach their missions. This part around political savvy, which it seems like you need to have to particularly navigate a, a more bureaucratic environment, like you're describing. Many of the things you do, you know, or you had mentioned, have visibility, kind of almost stick your neck out a little bit feels like it wouldn't necessarily get rewarded in, in the government. And, you know, also this political savvy part, there's the other side of it. And, and I would love for you to have to talk about this because this, I see this a lot in the private sector is people are worried about kind of taking things out there, right? Because if they take it out there, they're worried about, ah, it's going to get stolen or I share it with a mentor or this person and they take my idea, they take the credit for it or even a peer. How do you prevent that from happening? You, you at the one hand, want to be bold and build relationships, but how do you make sure you don't get taken advantage of? Look, again, you and I both work with a lot of people from underrepresented uh, communities. And one of the things that I, I was taught growing up is never let your left hand know what your right hand's doing, right? So what we, were, what we were taught is you don't tell anyone what you're doing because they may try to undermine you. Right? They may try to steal your idea. They may, there's all these negative things. So what you should do is you keep it to yourself and you keep working on it. What I have found in my career, at least, and the people and the organizations I work with, that doesn't work. What I do intentionally is I share my ideas with as many people as possible. Why? Because when I share my ideas, now they have the ability to help me. I can't expect someone to help me if they don't know what they, I need help with. Right? And the reality is, now again, I'm, I'm going I'm to use that, that L word again. 
And a lot of people who would do you harm are too lazy to take your idea and actually implement it. So yes, there are absolutely the, um, if you came up with the next idea for the next Facebook or something like that, maybe you want to keep your your circle relatively closer, right? That's the reality. But in order to develop Facebook, you would have to invite some people and you'd have to tell someone about what you're doing. And so what I would tell people is to really, in the beginning, don't worry about who may steal your idea because most ideas take energy to implement. And most people are not willing to do what it takes to actually implement the idea, even if they do love it. I Again, I'm a proponent for sharing what your goals are and aspirations are, because now you're giving people a way to help you reach those goals and aspirations. And as all of us know, I know Michael's always talking about as well, no one can achieve anything of significance by themselves, period. Point blank, period. You need other people. And the way you do that is by having a compelling story. But when you tell those stories, it's only inspiring. It's if it's new, it's innovative, it's, it's hard. And that's how you get people to come along with you, say, you know what? That's awesome. I want to help you do this. Instead of just keeping it to yourself and saying, one day maybe I'll possibly get this done. <laughs> you you mentioned at the beginning, and, and you just mentioned um, uh, a minute ago, underrepresented groups. And, and so... People of color, women, those who may be minorities within a majority situation, we can talk about it in the States. I work with people globally where, where those groups look different. But let's, let's not shy away from the subject. I mean, are there specific considerations or strategies that those groups need to take into account or do differently? What's your views on this? When I say something different, I mean, do what works. If you see something working, you should do it or at least try, right? Okay, so let me, let me use an example. So if we know, which we do, there's research study after research study after research study that says 80% of jobs are filled via relationships. That is networking. 80% of jobs are filled via networking. Then maybe you should be focusing on networking, right? If, if there's science that tells us to use certain words versus other certain words, then maybe you should try that out. Again, this is what me and Michael talk about. Um, a great example, when you're trying to build trust and relationship with someone new, what, what we found is that if you use the, um, the word advice, hey, I love your advice. Can, can you give me some advice on this? Why does that work? Well, because people generally feel good when they ask you, when someone asks for their advice. It means, oh, I feel valued. They think I'm important. They think I have something to add. Here's my advice. And you know what? Because I give you my advice, I must like you. So let me see if I can help you out again. Wonderful. At the same time, if that person doesn't like you, what can you ask them that's very similar? For their opinion. I don't have to like you at all to give you my opinion. But the benefit is that you still get uh, possibly some really good ideas. And then if that works, you can go back to that person and say, hey, thank you so much for that great advice that you provided me. And now they begin to say, oh, wow, I gave them advice, so I guess I must like them to some extent. And if things go wrong, then they can't say anything because it was their idea. So (laughs) there's a lot of research out there on what works and what doesn't work. But we have to be willing to, to change our mindset about what it takes to be successful. If you believe that stupid saying to pick yourself up by your bootstraps, that is, it just doesn't exist. You can try. Yes, you absolutely should be working to do everything you possibly can to help yourself be successful. 
But we know, we know there's data out there that tells us that most successful people have friends and colleagues who are in a higher economic community than you. Harvard just produced a study saying they found that people from lower socioeconomic groups do much better in life when they have friends who are in a higher socioeconomic group. Now, we already knew this, but now Harvard has actual research saying that it's important if we want to advance in our quote-unquote status, we need to connect with and be friends with and befriend people who are in higher socioeconomic status than us and higher positions and more uh, uh, positions of authority and so on and so forth. And as we talk about heeding the evidence and and giving, I like what you said, you know, give that a try. Um, You've also, a, a video you talked about before is to find what works for you. And the only way you find what works for you is by doing it. And then you kind of iterate into it. I think this was one that you left, uh, you, you talked about your own public speaking, that evolution, how you became such a good speaker. I, I, I do want to ask this comment that I saw that from a senior exec, must have been one of your mentors, uh, praising one of your previous books. And, and she wrote, I love how he talks about how to leverage discrimination as career fuel. And that just... There was only a comment there. So I just, could you share what she was referring to or what that chapter was about? Yeah, the chapter in the book, um, Reaching Senior Leadership, is the story of a extremely senior level executive within the federal government and how she, how she was able to maneuver her career in the extreme levels of discrimination, whether it be because she was a Black woman initially working in Utah, um, where she was experiencing uh, uh, discrimination, or when she got to be becoming uh, one of the Homeland Security's first chief information officers, and she was being discriminated against because she was, one, one, a woman, and she was Black. And what she found was every single time they tried to knock her down, and she was able to find a way to get around it, over it, under it, whatever it may be, it provided her the story, the internal story that when something else happened, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I, already, I already overcame something like this before. I can do this. And, and, and actually, this is what I love to work with my clients on and whatnot is I tell them literally, your, your listeners can do this. Look, take some time right now, push pause, and write down five of the most difficult things, the most hard times you've had in your life. Write them down, right? Okay, you wrote them down. Now I want you to do this right here. I want you to look at those things and, and I want you to look at your look at that paper. Now look at yourself, right? You're still here. You're not dead. What does that mean? That means that you are strong enough to overcome whatever comes your way. I am not a flowery guy. I'm not a gumdrops and rainbows person. It's not about hope. This is data. You identified yourself that these are five of the most difficult and painful and hard times in your life, and yet you are here today. That means that you can overcome these things. In the same way which she did with um, d- dealing with discrimination, you can overcome the challenges that come in your life because you've shown that you can do it. It's evidence-based. It's facts. And I, I, and I believe in you, and you should believe in you. That's a huge example. That's in, in the book or in one of the courses? That's in the book. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think that one is worth looking at. But to, to be fair here, right, this is pull yourself up, look at the things that you can do. But this is not to say that discrimination doesn't exist, Alex. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I Look, look here, 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 I'll be real with you. Look, um, I was asked the other day uh, about 
tokenism. He's like, Alex, can you do a can you do a, a training on tokenism? I said, you know what, I, I, I can do it. I've spoken on tokenism, um, but here's the thing: I don't have the benefit of living in this fairy tale world where I don't have to deal with tokenism. That is a fact. I'm go. I've been in positions because I was the token black guy or the token young person. I've been to those situations. I, I, I promise you, I will be in more situations when I am the token. I don't, I don't have the luxury to, to, to act like that's not going to happen. So now that I know that I'm going to be experiencing discrimination, my question becomes, how do I develop the skills, the strategies, the know-how to overcome each, the, the, each one of those discriminations that come? See, because I don't care if someone likes me or not. What I'm going to do, what I'm going to do, I'm going to be successful. Regardless of it, who likes me or what, I'm going to make sure that my family is taken care of. So I'm not worried about, again, I, again, I work with organizations to help them build cultures that are more inclusive, to help them reduce discrimination, so on and so forth. But I also teach my individual leaders, you also can't wait for an organization to do that. You got to make sure that you can overcome it regardless. Yeah. Yeah. As the economists say, in the long run, we're all, we're all dead. So it's time to... <laughs> to do things here and now. Alex, this has been a tremendous conversation. I'm sure there is one question I should have asked that I did not. You are amazing at asking questions. What should I have asked? You can go ahead and answer it. Oh, man. What should you be asking? You've asked really, really good questions. The first thing that comes to mind for me is, what is the hardest thing you've ever had to do? And for me, the hardest thing I've ever had to do was face the reality that someone who I thought, who I knew was in my corner, tried to undermine me and my career. And because I was so close to that person, they didn't only know about me professionally. They knew about me personally. They knew I had outside endeavors. They knew I had a a wife and a family I was taking care of. And yet, because their political ambitions ran counter to mine, they were willing to hurt me. And that was the most difficult part in my career, I believe. Um, very stressful time. And, and how did you overcome that? I would say twofold. The first is I... I had to realize actually that life, that work wasn't life. I, I tend to work really hard. And I started really spending a lot of time with my wife. And I can tell, this is one thing you got to do. If you want to be successful, again, you don't do this alone. You need to have a support group because something tough, bad, hard is going to come your way. And you need to have someone who can be there for you to talk to you when things go wrong or just to listen when things go wrong. My wife and I dealt with this for so over almost two years dealing with this person. And having her around just to be there with me really kept me sane. So that's one side. The other side is this is when I went and spoke to, I'm, I saw the director of the National Park Service speaking at an event. And I walked up to him and I said, hey, you know, sir, I, I really appreciated your talk. I'm really interested in some of the work that you're doing. I'd love to meet with you and talk more about this. And he said, sure. And when I met with him a month later, within 15 minutes of talking with him, um, he offered me a job. I said to say, 
when things are going rough, you can't just sit there either. You got to make moves. You got to try something. You got to keep reaching out. If you just sit there and take it, I can promise you one thing. It's going to keep going. Like if, if someone's trying to hurt you or harm you, it's not just going to stop. So you need to either find a way to get away from there or you need to find political allies to try to make that person stop. But that's also political savvy. That is also political savvy. And I like what you said there about having, having the support network around you as well. Alex, thank you so much for your time. Um, it sounds like you do have a lot of new initiatives going on with your new book. What's the best way for people to reach you and, and what should they be looking at if they want to experience your work or your training or your speaking? Well, the first thing they should do is visit alextrumble.com. That's A-L-E-X-T-R-E-M-B-L-E.com. From there, you can learn about my speaking. You can learn about my online courses. Um, there's a lot of actually really great free resources as well. I actually literally created a script. If you want to have professional development um, conversations with your supervisor or even with your um, reportees, go to alextrumble.com. You sign up my newsletter. You get access to that. I, I literally worked on this for about a year with uh, leaders from multiple sectors on how to develop a script so you know exactly what to say to either your employees or your supervisor when you're trying to fight for resources and time and effort to develop yourself. Awesome. Well, doing great stuff, Alex. Thank you again for joining me today. Thank you, sir. Thanks for listening to 97% Effective, where we skip happy talk and help you break through and ascend one hard truth at a time. Help others discover this show. Leave a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you like what you heard, you can get free resources, including the first chapters of Michael's book, Get Promoted, on his website, www.changwinderoth.com. That's www.changwenderoth.com.